0: You're listening to The Gridiron Show. I'm Will Gavin alongside Gridiron editor Ollie Conley and our features editor. I don't even know if that's your job title anymore, Simon. You were left off the magazine before the Super Bowl entirely, from what I remember. So, Simon Clancy's here as well, all round uh, NFL draft czar and uh, guru. How are you doing, Simon?
1: I mean, I'm mortally wounded, Will.
0: But that's how you do <laughs> yeah. uh, I do my best. Um, look, we. With the intent, our intention for this relaunch podcast is that we do intend to go in and do some deep X's and O stuff and that we do want to really represent something kind of entirely different. But funnily enough, there's been a lot to talk about in the NFL again this week. It's not been a slow news cycle by any stretch of the imag- imagination. and. You know, uh, before we get to the absolutely huge news of last week, we need to talk about yesterday. Matt Ryan, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, only a couple of quarterbacks and only a couple of quarterback needy teams left on the market. Plenty of great players still out there and the draft upcoming as well. But I think it would only make sense to start with. The fact that the Houston Texans have traded Deshaun Watson and a 2024 sixth round pick to the Cleveland Browns in exchange for three first round picks, a third rounder and two fourth round selections. And Deshaun Watson has landed an eye-watering and many other words that we could use for it, $230 million completely guaranteed contract. It is the largest guarantee in a contract by $80 million, and it is the really first of its kind. I know we had Kirk Cousins getting his three years fully guaranteed, but nothing of this kind of level. Uh, resetting the market and a historical contract for more reasons than the obvious ones. I feel like myself and Simon and, and Matthew Sherry as well have all had our thoughts on this pretty extensively previously. And I don't think many of our thoughts have, have maybe hugely changed just because he's now landed on a team. Uh, Ollie, as the new editor, as the new member of the team, I just want to throw to you and get your thoughts. How you felt when this came out last week?
2: It's just disgusting. It was such, I'm not a Browns fan. And I still felt just a complete kick in the gut that it went down. And I felt this throughout uh, one of my main takeaways from this whole episode, which it seems like they believe it's coming to an end. And yet I do not imagine this does not end with a year long suspension further. You know, he's got to go through civil depositions that will then become public knowledge. So this, this thing will, will run and run. One of my main things throughout has been how terribly it's been covered by our profession. It has just been one of the most poorly covered stories at the very top of the league. Cause your two NFL tastemakers and news generators is the NFL itself, who wants to know part of this story, and ESPN, who is a league partner, who have we seen have gone through some pretty interesting negotiations with the league uh, as a rights holder over Super Bowls and restarting Monday Night Football in certain ways, and they have been nowhere near the story. And the whole thing has been left to one journalist and one entity, which was basically Jenny Vrentas uh, SI. And I think if you go back to that original reporting, which has not been talked about enough, Two things really stand out. The first, that there's 22 accusers here, but the actual story revolves around about 50 different massage therapists, only 22 who went through the criminal filing and or the civil filing. There's plenty of other massage therapists out there who have gone on the record to Sports Illustrated or on background and spoken about this too. It's not just the women who've come forward in in either public or behind the scenes in, in the criminal suit. And the main thing that has been forgotten, I think entirely in this story, before you even get to the talk of the trade, is that the accusations themselves are escalatory in nature. It's the typical pattern of abuse where he goes from revealing himself to touching to assault, that they escalate over time. It's not as if it's one big monolith that's being dumped on him and they're all random and all over the place. They were escalatory in nature. And instead of a punishment, the guy held court in a hotel room interviewing teams. I know you, you're going to get to this point, Will, but teams did not interview him. You know, that Brown statement was embarrassing. It was full of bullshit. And, and teams did not go there trying to do private investigatory work on Sean Watson and what has gone on in this situation. So that that's, should be their role in society at all. He interviewed them. He went to them and said, what are you going to do for me? Can you do a dodgy contract that, that, that gives me all the money and we try and circumvent a suspension, a suspension that is because I am deemed a sexual predator by my league. And can you move the money? So I only have to get a fine of a million dollars this year, and I can keep $200 million, even if I get caught again in the future. I just, that the whole thing is disgusting. And every layer you go through, once you've read this, the circumstance of the trade, how the Browns pulled it off, what went into it, it just gets so much more gross
1: with each detail to me. Can i just uh, jump in a second um because just off air before we started ollie said i'm definitely not going to go in two-footed on this because i don't want to get <laughs> we had two disgustings <laughs> of a, a dodgy contract so you know i'd hate it if he really goes in full ball he's I'm- right you're right 100 right i mean it's it's morally repugnant
0: morally repugnant is right and w- what astonishes me is as we hear more and more about it outside of what we would already know about the contract about the fact that the team themselves managed to get to, I mean, a relatively strong position from the Texans perspective of only agreeing that people could speak to Watson once they'd already pre-agreed what they'd give up for him. So that gives Watson maybe a little less maneuverability of where he ends up going. Cleveland were out of the process and then went back to Watson and essentially went, look, can we get back in if we offer you the most ridiculous contract humanly possible? Like they go back with this offer that is just blows everyone else out of the water, gets them not only back in the process, but signing to Sean Watson. And then they put out these statements and the statements coming from Kevin Stefanski, who, who it, it very clearly mentions that Andrew did all the extensive work. Andrew Berry, the general manager, doesn't put his own name into it. But throughout, they talk about, you know, the owners talk about wanting to hear directly from Watson on how he wants to approach his career on and off the field. But we then find out that Tony Busby, the lawyer for the 22 plaintiffs who are suing Deshaun Watson, hasn't been contacted by a single NFL team. You know, Jenny Varentis, again, with the reporting on that, who's been brilliant from SI. You know, I, you can't even imagine that they've even read those reports if they've put themselves into this situation. And, you know, I, someone who loves the NFL and loves the sport and loves a lot of the people involved in it, but can't help but feel like this is one of those situations where, Talent is so high that they literally don't care about women who have been sexually assaulted. And that is getting to a point where if I was a Browns fan, I certainly wouldn't be anymore. And I'm, I'm borderline not an NFL fan right now.
1: What, what I want to know is what the Haslam thought when she was sat in that meeting with Deshaun Watson. You know, Gail Benson, the Saints owner, didn't didn't go to the meeting um, that, that, that the Saints had. And they'd arranged a second meeting that she was going to attend to. But what, what, what did Dee Haslam think when she was sitting there? with Deshaun Watson, with all those cases against him. It's the same conversation that we as Dolphins fans had when Steve Ross was on the phone four, five, six months ago. You know, what does the the, the two women scouts that the Dolphins have feel about it? What does Serena Williams and, you know, those the the minority owners at Fergie and the minority owners of the Dolphins think about that? What, what, you know, but Dee Haslam's an owner. And what does she think in that meeting when she sat
0: there with... No. with Not just an owner, but an owner who has very specifically fought about the worth of women and fought for women in business situations, in sporting situations. And you get people like uh, Adidi Kinkabwala, who I rate very highly as a reporter, but coming out and saying that, you know, knowing Dee Haslam's behind this gives her more of an open mind because of how much Dee Haslam has, has fought for the rights of women and the advancement of women in these areas. You know, I'm not I'm not in her mind. I don't know her thought process, but like you say, an absolute penny for her thoughts when she was in that situation. And now that the the organization has thrown themselves into this,
2: the whole situation is just so shameful and predictable. It just comes down to making people's daily lives uncomfortable. Who wants to be a person who puts people in that situation? Now you have an organization where this guy's going to be walking around a building and, they, and he's quite clearly the most powerful man in the building now right? Because he has all the dirt on the owners because he interviewed them to get this job, not the other way around. They didn't go in there and say, hey, Deshaun, tell us what's going on. He said, come to me and tell me what what you can give me. And he told them they were out until he let them back in. Mm. So he's the most powerful man in the building with a fully guaranteed $200 million contract. And I have women walking around the building who will be uncomfortable. And you have a situation where athletic training the field is like 80% female, but is like a 1,000% male in the NFL. And so now that team is is going to be in a situation where do they allow Deshaun Watson to be in the room alone with women? The answer you would hope would be no. And so what is the knock-on impact? That either a woman loses their job or doesn't get hired, or that they have to face that really uncomfortable decision in their workplace. It, it's just so, so gross. And I'm not saying that Deshaun Watson should never play professional football again, but it's just we are not even close to the end of the line We've not heard an apology from him. We've not heard anything from him that says maybe some of these actions were wrong. We haven't heard a single thing from him. And until we've seen the civil depositions and the fallout consequence from the league and what he wants to say on the matter himself publicly, I just cannot believe a team decided to trade for him now.
1: I also think it's just a terrible indictment of the NFL and Roger Goodell. You know, the NFL is amazing at making billions and billions and billions of pounds or dollars. It's not very good with its own moral compass. Do you know what I mean? I mean, look at... Look at the history. You know, the game is marketed to women. We, you know, Will, you know Phoebe Schechter better than better than both Ollie and I. You know, Phoebe's work at the Buffalo Bills. You know, we have breast cancer awareness and pink cleats and women's coaching forums and you know the, the women coaches at the Buccaneers. I mentioned the scouts at the Dolphins, you know, you go back to Connie Carberger, the Jets, you know, Sarah Thomas, all these sorts of things. But look at the situation with Daniel Snyder, you know, fine, $10 million, which is essentially 2% of the team's total revenue, not even Snyder's yearly revenue. It's just the team's total revenue for, you know, I mean, I don't want to get sued either, but, you know, a string of sexual harassment cases against women. Um, I just think it's – I just think – I think Roger Goodell has got to come down with a – they've got to make a statement, you know, and I get that people are sort of slightly outraged at – Calvin Ridley getting a year suspension and you play that against Ray Rice and what happened to him or Tyreek Hill or whatever, but you know, I think
0: that the, the, the NFL paint themselves play. into a corner with that because those are the rules of and course. they, you know, that. I mean, they're stupid rules. Yeah. Things no. have to change on that. You point. punch
1: a woman like, in the face in the lift and knock her out. You shouldn't be abiding by the rules, you know? And if a guy has got 22 cases against him, which are still significantly ongoing and could still significantly affect his life moving forwards, depending on whether he's found guilty or not. I I don't understand how we're even in this situation. How is he even viable to be traded at this point? How I just, it, it just throws up so many questions, but you know, we'll have breast cancer awareness week and we'll have the pink cleats and we'll trumpet Sarah Thomas and those sorts of things. But really, and truly, it's just a dirty, dirty affair that, you know, I don't think anybody comes out of this looking good, least of all the Browns, the NFL and, you know, it's just not very, it's just not very good.
2: The commissioner's office comes out of this in a really odd situation because far be it from me, I have hammered Roger Goodell throughout my career for being so very many things that using this platform now would certainly get us all sued. So I won't say any of those things right now, but they have been excellent at trying to promote diversity. When you compare them to similar level organizations throughout the US, they have done real work in terms of di- diversifying their key principal positions with women and people of color, right? They, they've done a brilliant job at that. But Roger Goodell works for owners, many of whom have these issues. I talking about Jerry Jones, Daniel Snyder, Robert Kraft, right? So he's a meat shield for those guys. And now he's in a case where he probably wants to throw the book at Deshaun Watson for probably a season, as you mentioned there, like the Calvin Ridley one. He already served the shadow ban last season. So then you've got two years and now he's going to have to find a way to tear up his collective bargaining agreement that they spend God knows how long working on, because he's going to want to find a way to find the Browns and or Watson for that creepy contract that tries to absorb the suspension. He cannot have... Teams writing contracts to get out of them knowing he's suspending and essentially fining players. That's how the NFL works. You get suspended and the fine comes out of the paycheck, essentially. And the Browns structured that deal to make it so he loses no money in the year when he's suspended and gets all the money on the back end so he's gonna have to find a way to say I'm changing the rules and now I'm just charging you 50 million dollars or whatever I think the salary should be so now and he's gonna open himself up there to a CBA challenge so it is a complete nightmare for for that head office where I think I know what Roger Goodell would want to do I think he'd want to suspend him for a long time and find him his full salary because he has that pattern of behavior often extending way beyond what we would want from a commissioner but in this case feels appropriate Yet he's got owners who are fighting the exact same litigation and legal troubles who are the guys he works for.
1: I'll tell you what else looks really bad for the NFL is that five or six months ago, excuse me, the NFL were happy to sit there whilst Deshaun Watson was almost traded to the Miami Dolphins. They were literally a Steve Ross, yes or no, you know, kind of a away from being traded to the Dolphins. Ross got on the phone with Watson the night before the trade deadline and decided that, they weren't entirely comfortable moving forwards until the legal situation had been sorted out. But if Ross had turned around and said, you know what, let's just do it, the NFL would have signed off on it. And we hadn't even had the, you know, the court hearings that we had a week ago or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's just another awful look for for, for a league that's sort of
0: it, but you know, even, frustrating. Even that, as Ollie said, like a shadow ban last year, but realistically, they didn't step in and do anything. They didn't step in and put him on any kind of commissioner's exempt list, which would have taken his salary away from him, like they have done with other players in the past who have had legal issues that are ongoing, and therefore they've not been able to enact anything more serious. Fact is, they've not suspended him yet because he was still going through the grand jury. And the grand jury indictment, by the way, deciding not to indict him doesn't actually end... The criminal cases either, which everyone has kind of acted like that just means, well, we're only dealing with civil cases now. He could still get criminal charges brought against yep. him and that could he could be out of the league. And this of people like, last this... week saying, oh it's over, it's brilliant. It's like, yay! it's like,
1: no, I mean zero chance.
2: And it goes to Deshaun Watson's messaging himself too of him, he has throughout this whole process made himself the victim. Planting The stuff about how it's a grand conspiracy from the Houston Texans to take him down because of some weird, you know, former work from one lawyer who I can't imagine there's that many high priced lawyers in Houston who aren't all in the same rooms together. And somehow that was some some grand conspiracy against him. And and as you said there, that there is a a sense and tone. And again, I go back to the media coverage of this, of not educating people well enough. Why would, and almost it's a need to necessarily know the outcomes of grand juries and what that means for someone. It is not in any way that he was declared innocent. There's only nine women that testified on that grand jury, not all 23, 22 accusers, excuse me. So they went off those nine people. They decided there wasn't enough evidence because guess what? They don't videotape in massage parlors for a reason. So where would the evidence come from? Right. It's just comes down to the classic he said, she said he's the most powerful man. He has the best lawyers. And so they weren't able to bring evidentiary charges against him. Does not mean like you said, well, there could not be more evidence in the future and they could charge him again, could charge him in a different state because he's he spent time in Florida, too. And we don't know what the situation is there. So it, and him and his team have acted as that's innocent. And that's why a trade can go ahead And the NFL and the, the Browns have acted like that's innocent. A trade can go ahead. That is not what has happened. He has not had charges brought forward yet. And he continues to go
0: through civil litigation. I th- look, I, this is going to carry on, and I'm sure we'll have more thoughts on it in the future. And you know, we should maybe look at speaking to those who who are involved or or have an opinion on the case who can be more informed. You, mentioned Jenny Vrentas, an excellent guest Jenny Vrentis.
1: Vrentis. on this podcast. And for people who who are listening who don't know the story 100, percent who sort of think like, "Oh, the case is isn't the case over?" And oh, I don't know, is the Sean Watson really? go and read what Jenny Vrentas has written over the last 18 months on this case, because it's, um, it's outstanding journalism. And she, as Ollie rightly said, she's been absolutely at the heart of this story. And um, yeah, you you read that and you'll come away with a very different opinion of, of Deshaun Watson and and what's been happening.
0: There we go. Live on air production meeting. I'll uh, I'll, I'll DM Jenny immediately. Um, uh, Let's talk about some of the other deals. Weird going from that to talking about actual, you know, football deals that will impact this season specifically. uh, But, we talked about around Deshaun Watson last week, the idea that the Falcons was a landing spot for him and you know, hometown team, ball boy there, all of that stuff that came previously. And, and I floated this idea that, Matt Ryan to the Colts was what made most sense if that happens, because they're the team that could absorb the cap hit easier than anyone else. Well, it turns out that deal was getting done behind closed doors, as Matt Ryan does move to Indianapolis for a third round pick. And kind of astonishingly, the Falcons end up eating an NFL record $40.5 million in dead money, whilst the Colts, well, they pay him less than actually. They'd have been paying Jimmy Garoppolo if they traded for him this year and maybe for a lesser pick. It feels like the Colts have got themselves an absolute wow deal here. Admittedly, as pointed out on social media a year after putting together a pretty poor deal for Carson Wentz. But it does feel like they've dug themselves out of a hole, Ollie.
2: Yeah, I think that people can go through kind of the layering of it and maybe it, it didn't jigsaw together the way you would quite like, but the point is at the end of the – they went into the offseason with a bad quarterback. They leave the offseason with a good quarterback, admittedly a, an older one, and with an extra draft pick. That That's as about as good as you can do and paying him significantly less to open up some cap space to do some things in the periphery. So that's about as good as it gets. I mean, Matt Ryan was pretty excellent last year. I know people look at some of the, the figures and stats and there's some really low low lights, but he was playing behind – one of the worst offensive lines in the league, legitimately the worst center in the league, a horrific designed setup where six weeks into the season, I thought Arthur Smith would be one and done because they couldn't time up the snap properly. It was it was like pathetic from a holistic point of view. And if you dig into some of the really nerdy numbers, things like completion percentage over expectation, where they go through all the next-gen stats, where they get the chip, you know, and they do all the nerdy fancy stuff they do in those big buildings, he finished ahead of Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson, Matthew Stafford, Justin Herbert, essentially depending on where the... The receiver was in relation to the cornerback and the route combination and the pressure package and all that stuff where the players were on the field, should you or should you not complete the throw based on historical data? Matt Ryan was right up there in the top five, top six in the league last year above all those guys I listed there. So he, he was good last season. I still think he moves just fine. He never moved great. And you put him into that cult setup with Frank Reich and that offense that we know is pretty plug and play. And I, that's that's a really good upgrade. It's just the we know they'll be back on the
0: carousel doing this again in 12 months time so when his when his legs completely go the, the thing is you say plug and play the concern is and and i have you yeah, know the colts aren't a well supported team in the uk but i have one very good friend who is an informed football fan who is a colts fan who has literally bet me that they still won't make the playoffs this year despite having matt ryan um because they've not addressed wide receiver they've not addressed the offensive line they've not addressed tight end they've not addressed corner they still have some cap room to do that and the draft as well, of course, but they are looking limited. This is a worse team that Matt Ryan is entering than the team that Phil Rivers joined two years ago. I think arguably Matt Ryan is an upgrade on who Phil Rivers was two years ago, but there's still a lot of work to be done in Indy, si.
1: There is, but there is a lot of good young players on that team, especially on defence. You know, you've got DeForest Buckner that people kind of, one of the most underrated players in the league, I think, in terms of just, you know, people that know the league, know who he is. But you talk about top three or four defensive tackles in the league and people kind of forget DeForest Buckner. They've just brought in Yannick Ngakwe five seasons in a row with eight plus sacks. You know, I know it's his like 19th team in 20 minutes, but you know, he's you know, he still gets to the quarterback. Those two young edge rushers, uh, ingbo and um and Quitty Pay obviously started well last year. You look at the linebackers with Darius Leonard, Bobby Okereke, he's playing really well. Um, and actually, I know they've got rid of Rocky Sin, and they will need to target the secondary, but they've got really good players in that secondary. Um, you know, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman, etc., and there's still a draft to come. Offensively, you've got you've got the best running back in the league in Jonathan Taylor, you know, Derek Henry, obviously been out, but you've got Jonathan Taylor, you've got receivers in Michael Pittman, Marani Cox has come back. Yes. They need help with those positions, but also it's a really, really strong draft at receiver. You know, you can go eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 receivers down and still probably get somebody who can contribute early and often, even into day three, you're going to be looking at guys, you know, Javon Heelite, Coastal Carolina, the, the, Dijon Dixon there are players that are going to be able to help this offense and help it pretty quickly and I think there's you know especially if you go in the first round there are some refined route runners guys with good hands I think for Matt Ryan playing indoors in that stadium for in a really quarterback friendly system for a quarterback friendly coach I think it's just an absolute and and Ollie says you know it might be one year it might not be it might be two years you know who's to say it might not be it might not be three years if so they can build around him a little bit with some you know there are still some marcus valdez scantling is still out there. there are still a number of receivers who are you know who are free agents who haven't been picked up yet there's trades you're going to have the June first cuts all those sorts of things so i wouldn't worry too much about frank reich and also chris ballard and ed dodds who i think are fantastic in terms of the front office yes they kind of missed you know miss badly on carson wentz but like they went back to the well how, how often do we see GMs just scared of their decision-making and never kind of do They just went back and they went back and they, and they got it right. Hopefully they got it right. Because I think, as Ollie says, Ryan's a really good quarterback still. And I don't doubt that they'll come out of the draft and probably the, the second and third phases of free agency with some more skill position players who are just going to help fill out that offense.
2: The big That's thing really- for me with, with them, sorry, Will, is in terms of the playoff, what you were talking about there, your friend, the Colts fan, is they're in a different situation to a lot of the other teams. The AFC now has probably nine of the fourteen best quarterbacks in the league, something in in that region. It is ludicrous. Now, how how many good immediately trying to do
0: the maths? Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> right. they, you've got Brady Rodgers, and you know, figure the rest out in the NFC and everyone Trey else Yeah, AFC. yeah, I get it. I get <laughs> it. Uh, everyone else plays in the AFC. You might have Garoppolo joining too, but. And so that that makes it just a complete gauntlet to get through the thing. But for them, it really is a straight shot, right? Head to head against Tennessee. It doesn't really matter how many games you win. You finish above Tennessee, you're making the playoffs. That, that's that's what it is. Go in the division. And they certainly have the pieces. And as Saya mentioned there, which is really important for them heading into the season, they are pot-committed that front office knows whiffed on the last one. Ursa gave them a do over, let them go again. Didn't cost them a lot in, in terms of draft picks or cash. And if they want to go and find someone, if they find an edge rusher on the market, they see an NFC team saying, let's tear it down and race to the bottom. They see that New Orleans starts slow and they're in complete cap hell. And they're not sure what the plan is going to be. Now they missed out on Watson that you can maybe go and get one of those, those superstars on defense for a second or first round pick. They have all the ammunition and want and desires it to go and make moves. So, I understand there's still some holes there, but I, I think that's a front office that, that nails early draft picks. Uh, and I think they have the ability to go and chase some veteran players on the trade market.
0: The veteran players, by the way, on the trade market. The big thing for me still is that, I mean, you've got the best left guard in the NFL, but no left tackle. The right-hand side of the line is still a problem. Terran Armstead looks like he's going to the Dolphins, Si. Uh, yeah, he's over to last night.
1: Stayed over in Miami last night. Apparently, had dinner with Steve Ross, Chris Greer, Mike McDaniel, Dan Marino. Um, so hopeful, but you know, if he if he leaves that deal, uh, Dodds and Dodds and um, and Chris um, Ballard, Ballard. Thank you, God. I was like, what is his name? <laughs> Ballard would be all over that. Look, Eric Fisher's still out there. I know that. You know, that's that, that's a band aid and he's coming off the Achilles but Dwayne
0: Brown as well but another one who's is Brown on the verge of going to the Panthers or did he sign with the Panthers I think we talked about it yesterday I mean if you yeah. if you're Dwayne Brown and you get the Panthers uh, are at your door with Sam Darnold behind you and <laughs> an absolute and then somebody goes oh, you could sign for the Colts to look playoff bound I think the thing like is,
1: Dwayne Brown is still you know he, he's 36 still playing at a good level you know you plug him in there next to, next to Quentin Nelson and you know, and and Ryan uh, Ryan Kelly at centre. That's a um, you know, that's a hell of a left and middle of that that offensive line. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about Indianapolis finding like Ollie said perfectly. The the Colts are good, certainly in the you know day one, day two of the draft of finding good. But Ty Hilton, you know, potentially could come back. They've got you know there are possibilities, and there's going to be you know you look around the league. There's an awful lot of play Like what if I mean I know I know he struggled in Tennessee last year, but Julio Jones is out on there you know, is on the street. What well, if Matt Ryan says, you know, let's let's put the band back together. You, you know, you might get six oh games. Christ. You might get 10 games. But you know what That's I mean? It like, yeah, yeah, sure. But, you know, not beyond the realms of possibility as a, you know, as an option. So, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about the Colts because I just think Ryan's a good quarterback. They've got a great running game, good offensive line, young players on defence, smart coaching, smart front office, good special teams, good kicker.
0: You know, I am, um, they'll be all right. Have the rest of the NFC South taken a look at two decades of the AFC East and just gone? Do you know what? For the next two years, it. <laughs> okay. Let's let's focus on the future. Let's just not worry about it. They have to have done, and I
2: think I think more so. Brady looked at it and said, I, "So I have to spend my Sundays going around Whole Foods doing this fucking boring shit, getting the kids dinner <laughs> ready for Monday, or I could go and be up on Sam Donald and Jameis Winston. Are you kidding me? Let's roll."
0: Yeah, Marcus ult- Ma- Mariota on a backup deal, Jameis Winston on basically a backup deal, all starting. Uh, the There's been a lot of new you. rookies, yeah. rookie quarterbacks in the NFC South in, in 12 The ultimate
1: fuck you yesterday was th- that Brady video of him working out with Julian Edelman, is it? <laughs> 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 we've got a combined age of like 207 but we'll still and the way he turns to look at the camera as if to say you know fuck you're gonna do about it absolutely nothing <laughs> the interesting thing about the Falcons is that you know you, you put in a uh, you what's happened yesterday Will with that kind of with their offensive um with, a, with their skill positions I'll try and find it um yeah
0: yeah I've, I've got it in the uh I, I I will bring that up because it is that I mean arguably outside of
1: Mariota at quarterback, Mike Davis, Damian Williams, and Cordero Patterson. Then Jake Matthews, Jalen Mayfield, Matt Hennessy, Chris Lindstrom, Caleb McGarry. Look at Ollie. Poor Ollie hates Matt Hennessy so much. Kyle Pitts. <laughs> and then the receivers are Frank Darby, Olomide Zacchaeus, and Christian Blake. I mean, if that is not a team, it is absolutely burying itself. The first pick in the 2023 draft, when you know Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Will Levis, Tyler Van Dyke, etc., are kind of potential first overall picks or hype. Pick. I mean, that is that's worse than what the Dolphins did in, in the season where they were tanking for Tua Tagovailoa. So
2: they yeah. flamed this so bad as well because the, it was the timeline was right there for them last year. Burn the whole thing down. Gather yeah. as many assets as possible, trade Ryan for a one, maybe you squeeze a two because the Stafford trade he's only 35. At that point, the Colts probably do that deal instead of Wentz, then, right? And they, yeah. they give up the first for Wentz. And to say to try to straddle it of saying we're gonna keep Ryan, not change the contract, draft Kyle Pitts. It was just such a hodgepodge of ideas. I'm not sure why they didn't. They changed the whole regime last year. Why was the plan not just to burn it to the floor then?
0: Uh, Arthur Blank sat in front of me in London last year and with a completely serious look on his face told me they were looking to win now. Um, Which they could have done I I would have been all in for that The two paths were right there That you keep Ryan You renegotiate the contract
2: You drop the cap hole You draft Kyle Pitts And you just try and squeeze as much juice out And they could have microwaved I think some success quite easily last year It's that they tried to take this strange middle ground Of saying we'll pay Matt Ryan and keep him And we'll get rid of everything else around it." it It made no sense
0: It means that we're left with essentially Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo both looking for trades out of their team. Very limited options at this point. The Panthers possibly still looking for someone Seattle without a starting quarterback right now. Can't imagine the 49ers are going to trade in the division. So unless we're literally going to connect those specific dots, somebody might be left holding a quarterback they don't want or having to cut somebody and and end up losing money on it. The weird thing about
1: Seattle is that they seem so all in on Drew Locke. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and yet in his own press conference yesterday, he did. said, "Yeah, I'm not sure I'm starting."
1: Like, like DK Metcalf tweeting, you know, "Oh, easy lads, you know, let's just." It's like, uh, did you see him at Missouri and uh, the NFL at any point? Um, I don't know. I mean, you kind of feel like Baker would be a great fit up there if you can try and rehabilitate. Baker Mayfield, in terms of just, I thought that was really interesting. That 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 uh, tweet, I think it was from Chris Mortenson, that said that you know the Brown even before the Watson deal had been finalized. And actually, it felt like it probably came out around the time that Andrew Berry was being told that the Browns were out. But the more tweet was something like, "Cleveland are out on Baker Mayfield because they want an adult in the room. Mm-hmm. They want an adult or quarterback," which was pretty cutting, pretty harsh. Uh, whether it's true or not, that's you know that's as maybe, and it probably is true. But even so, like. Delivering that news through social media is probably not what you want to wake up to. Uh,
0: Is is Pete Carroll then the guy... To make Baker Mayfield an adult. It feels like that might actually, as much <laughs> as you know, I'm pretty out on Pete Carroll at this point in his career, it might actually work, Ollie. But maybe, maybe the whole
1: maybe that whole kind of just Pete and Baker rolling together, you know. I, I, I'm with say on that. It's
2: like a lot of Red Bull energy. It's like, you know, <laughs> let's go have some fun, just the boys, you know, it's a lot of no, the no, boys' like, energy.
1: You know, but I mean this cat on the wrong way and saying he's gonna wake up feeling
0: dangerous and all that. So that's Pete Baker starts like chewing that. gum, it'll be yeah. it'll be a whole thing
2: more is a legend, but I don't know what's going on this offseason where the only scoops agents give him is real, like, playground fair about shit. quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, the like, that is Wednesday, a gross report to say we need an outlet in the room whilst you're chasing a guy accused of all that stuff. So he's the adult and the fella who gets emotional in the film room is the child. It is so, so bizarre. How many reports we had this year where it's like quarterbacks could not take, you know, criticism in the film room. It's like, maybe you guys aren't communicating this stuff very well. I don't know,
1: it's... <laughs> But the, did you see Castle Went saying his press conference the other day that the the first thing he knew about the fact that Frank Reich essentially hated him and was <laughs> disowning him as his son was that was reading Chris Mortensen's tweet to say that <laughs> you know we are absolutely finished with. Uh, and then he said he f- tried to phone Jim Ursay, was just told that he's not around, <laughs> he's not available to talk to you. Just <laughs> <laughs> like at that point, you're like, oh, okay,
0: yeah. Thank you. But no, thank you. Uh, look, we, we talked about maybe going into looking at some of the team's uh, best team building spots and, and questionable off season so far. I think we've got plenty of time to do that between now and the draft and, and during the offseason. Um, any other moves from the last week or so? I think the one that, that kind of that jumps out to me particularly is the fact that Lael Collins, who we talked about a little on last week's show, is now a Cincinnati Bengal. And. They've gone and they've gone big on the area that we expected them to go big on. We said right at the start of the offseason, they almost need to do what the chiefs did last year, and that's very much the direction they've gone in, Ollie.
2: Yeah, and and to me, the big thing I mentioned this when we did that that free agency recap recapture was changing the profile of that offensive line to essentially being as many malls as possible and let Joe figure out the second phase. If he needs to, as opposed to what they'd originally built was guys who kind of latch and and slide and they play long in the rep because they thought that's the way Burrow would want to play. Now it's going to be ball out mauling people with the run game, and then if Burrow has to go make a play, we all know he can go do that. So I think that's really interesting how they tried to completely redefine what they look for in an offensive line, and they didn't go right to the top of the market. I know Lyle Collins is, but the other two guys paying the two of them less than you pay for one Christian Kirk is a pretty great deal, less than one to Armstead, which would have been a nice fit, but you got the, the health issues. So I, it's about as good as you can do it. I, I don't think they're done. I think if a, if a lineman slides to them, Parman, someone like that slides to them in the first round, they'll look again. I think they'll look on the trade market. I think they will just keep throwing darts until they figure out five guys who can all play together.
1: Love it. Yeah. I think the Green Bay trading Devontae Adams is really interesting as well. I mean, it's been a good off season for the Raiders, and you know, in terms of bringing in Charlotte Jones, in terms of bringing in Adams, I think it really opens up a very interesting situation for the Packers because you know there are free agent receivers as we've already talked about. You know, Jarvis Landry, you know, guys like that. Do they bring back MVS Marcus Valdez Scandling? But you look at some of the receivers that would really, you know, Alec Pierce to me of Cincinnati reminds me of Jordy Nelson. This is a kind of a height, weight, speed receiver. He's six three, he's two hundred eight pounds. He's physical. He he seems to fit perfectly. Sky more at Western Michigan out of slot. Kind of people are talking up as potentially even going on the first day. You know, twitchy route runner, great IQ. Sorts seems to be the sort of guy that would fit um, really nicely with um, with Aaron Rodgers. Again, Chris Alave of um, you know just a sexy route runner, Chris Alave of of Ohio State. Feels like perhaps he's kind of becoming a little bit the odd man out of the of the top group of receivers. I'm not entirely sure why, um, but yeah you know guys like that and just you know whether that revitalizes because Rogers kind of feels like it it's almost year by year at the moment you know it's a I know the, the contract is four years but actually it feels like it's you know if he wants to retire next year then he'll just retire but he might be revitalized if they bring in two or three young receivers you know if they add a big tight end to help Robert Tonyan and you know who's who's re-signed I, I think it could actually be not the making of Green Bay because they don't need to be made, but you know, it could really help push them over the edge if they get some early contributors at receiver. Just helps sort of give Rogers a kind of a little kick. And you know, he's not ultra, like, you know, that that game against your, your boys, Will, in the in the in the title in the um in the divisional round was just such an over reliance on Devontae Adams in massive moments. Um, notably the big sort of third down throw down the field into double coverage that went incomplete or fourth down throw, you know. When he had a, when he had Allen Azad breaking over it, breaking wide open at midfield, completely uncovered. But it was just like, look for Adams, look for Adams. And I think actually taking away that reliance on Devontae Adams and spreading the wealth even more than you know they sometimes do. I just think in massive moments, you know, when it doesn't go right, that he's always looking. And why wouldn't you? He's the best receiver in the league. But I just think being able to spread it out a bit, being able to nurture some young guys, I think that would be. I think it's really intriguing for both teams in terms of you know the Raiders are clearly loading up the Packers may be reloading a, a really important position, but it could just revitalise their, their best
0: player. It's a really, real Rogers positive spin from Simon Clancy. Ooh. What a shock. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, if you want to hear more thoughts on that, uh, go and check out last week's bonus episode, uh, Ollie Connolly with Nicholas McGee of Stats Perform, uh, broke down that Devontae Adams trade, what it means for the Packers, what it means for the Raiders as well in an AFC West. We're just put every single game on prime time this year, every divisional game. If I'm not watching it at 1am, I will be very disappointed because uh, they're gonna, that division is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, this point and keep checking out the fine work the guys are doing on social media at gridiron at twitter at uk gridiron uh, on instagram there will be the draft edition of the magazine coming up soon you can still get the super bowl edition as well go and subscribe go and even buy buy a one-off get a digital version read it realize how good it is and then go and subscribe afterwards and remember, i just jump in
1: really in really quickly place. just about the biggest off-season news at all which is the tv Commentary teams. Yes. <laughs> I, thought, like, the to, I, to, yeah, I mean, turn, you know the
2: biggest trade of the week. I mean, Joe Book got traded for a Purdue game, I believe, <laughs> which is just an unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable thing. A Friday night Purdue Indiana game for a Joe Book is what it gets you.
1: I mean, what a what a revolution Monday night football has suddenly become after yeah. years of absolute drudgery. So to, to with Buck and Aikman, then alan and Kirk Kerb Street, which is a fascinating, you know, for Amazon on Thursday night which is a shame, which takes Al out of the, you know, he kind of feels like a real occasion where now Marcus is doing yeah. something. Chris Collinsworth and, and Mike Tarico, who I, I'm not a fan of for numerous reasons, um, read his back history at ESPN. That's all I'll say. And um, and then that kind of leaves open the Fox position in terms of like who goes there because i know that matt sherry absolutely hates gus johnson he seems to be coming up, on, <laughs> coming up hard on kevin burkhardt's rails in terms of whether or not he gets the fox gig but that's a, you know two of the next three super bowls um fox have um fascinating
0: yeah, that's fine th- if, if, you, if you're if you bad on tv anyway you'll just get a job coaching in the nfl with the 49ers <laughs> so it's fine don't worry about it or running them like the gm you know any, any of the above <laughs> Just take people out of TV. You can't really
1: try out a Sean Payton on air. Do you know what I mean? You've got to this
2: is the thing with the NFL. Difficult. That's how you yeah, you get the whiff yeah. on the Jason Witten is it's not a learn-on-the-job situation. There's only X number of games a year. You go on Amazon, they pay you 20 million dollars a year, and you're terrible on four games, and yeah. it becomes look how bad Drew Brees was
1: in that Bengals. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, well, that's I,
2: I think about that Fox one too, right? Or the NBC yeah. one, he's at NBC, right? Is that, that was his. That was the tryout for the twenty million dollar yeah. a year bag off Amazon or whoever, and it was so disastrous that now Mike he'll just cut the
1: running. Mike Mayock might be an interesting name to keep an eye on, because I, I just wonder what he's going to do. You know, he did a lot of game, Notre Dame and playoff games in Seattle, and
2: he did uh, Eagles. Yeah. Mike Mayock on Eagles preseason games. If you want to get really into the nerd weeds, was <laughs> was just
0: complete <laughs> nerd fair for everyone. Didn't yeah. didn't watch him. Not going to lie, uh, <laughs> look, <laughs> I, and we I still I had will. I still believe that Drew Brees, in two years' time, when he's forgotten about the fact that he doesn't have to offend other people and Never has an happened. opinion, no, no, could still terrible. be good. But he's terrible. He was bad. Uh, was, I'm so glad you brought that up because it was the most important news of the week. Thank the you. most important. <laughs> Otherwise, thank you for listening. Like, subscribe, give us a review. It really does help more people find the show. This has been The Gridiron Show.